Welcome back to Taiwan Talk on ICRT FM 100. I'm Ryan Drillsma, and this week I'm speaking to Scott Persner, who's the Director of International Affairs for the Taiwan Wild Bird Federation. We talk about actions people can take to protect bird species, threats facing Taiwan's wild bird populations, and much more. Hello, Scott, and welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? So far, so good. <laughs> now, when people think of animal conservation, they might think of zoos and places that um, take animals into captivity, treat them, and then release them into the wild. But obviously, wild birds are not in captivity. So how does wild bird conservation work? Well, uh, for our organization, I mean, just to give a little bit of background uh, about me and my organization, my organization is the Taiwan Wild Bird Federation, or Zhonghua Mingguo Yanyao Xiehui. And Actually, for us, our purpose when we were founded in, in 1988 was education, bird watching, and conservation. Now, actually, we're an umbrella organization, so we have 21 partners throughout Taiwan and Taiwan's outlying islands. And each one of these partners is, uh, has, has different goals and, and uh, purposes for, for each one. So some are just clearly for bird watchers and things like that, and others actually have deeper conservation plans, which they're involved in. So, I mean, in terms of what does conservation of birds entail, it's, it's, it's all kinds of things. So like you said, sometimes they are for uh, doing rehabilitation or because populations are critically low. Other times it's doing things such as trying to uh, adopt habitat in order to go ahead and protect the land that is critical for certain bird species, uh, such as migratory species in areas like wetlands and things, because actually Taiwan's wetland numbers have decreased rapidly over the years, and there's only a fraction of the wetlands that were previously in Taiwan. And on top of that, most of them are actually not natural wetlands, but man-made wetlands or wetlands that were previously something else, such as salt pans or fish ponds, things like that. Right, okay. So does the work you do with your partners uh, just involve endangered or rare species of birds, or do you work on the conservation of birds that people might see every day around Taiwan? Well, actually, some, that's an interesting question because, you know, one of the things that Taiwan is amazing for is a citizen science project. And so Taiwan has some of the longest-running and most robust citizen science projects for birds in Asia, in fact. And also Taiwan's open data is some of the best in Asia. And one of the citizen science projects that we do have here is called the Breeding Bird Survey, which is actually based off of the Breeding Bird Survey that was done in the United States. And this has been going on since 2009 because they wanted to go ahead and see what the situation for everyday birds was. And this is a, a project that, you know, anybody who is interested can go ahead and, and uh, get involved with. You do have to have a little bit of, of training, but this happens every March until July. And the theme of this is keeping common birds common. Because, you know, it's interesting, if you look at uh, globally the case of the yellow-breasted bunting, which you, you can find in, in, in China, and also you have some of them that will go to Taiwan's outlying Matsu Island and Japan, places like that. However, this bird species used to be hundreds of thousands, and now it's critically endangered. And so you could see within a couple generations, a bird species can actually disappear. So what they did in, uh, in 2009 was they wanted to actually look at the situation facing these common birds. So they looked at about 160 different species, and now they've got a lot of data, and they are able to go ahead and track how the uh, common birds, such as sparrows or uh, doves or other bird species that you'd see commonly around Taiwan, are faring. And they actually even did a, a breeding bird index 
based on the data for about uh, over 90 species. And they'd only done that uh, over the course of the last few years in order to try and see if there were any major trends for the uh, common birds in Taiwan. That's interesting because a couple of generations is not a lot of time. No, it's not. <laughs> Are there, are there more species that are common now that may become less common in the future, do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, it, it depends. However, you know, Taiwan has quite a few really good conservation success stories. Uh, for instance, if you look at the case of the black-faced spoonbill, the black-faced spoonbill was, uh, there were less than about 300 of them in the late 1980s. However, Taiwan was one of the, one of the countries that really spearheaded the uh, conservation uh, alongside other countries like Japan and then our friends in Hong Kong and, uh, and other places in order to go ahead and conserve the, the black-faced boombill. And so actually citizen science, uh, you know, study and, uh, and population study of the black-faced boombill goes all the way back to the early 1990s in Taiwan. And actually Taiwan did a great job uh, mostly from people power and then, of it, and then later with the support of groups like the Council of Agriculture in order to protect the critical habitat, uh, the wintering habitat for black-faced boombills, because black-faced boombills are a migratory species, and so they spend the winter in Taiwan. And Taiwan, you know, historically now has about 50 to 60 percent of the global wintering population. So I think that in the 2021 count, because uh, Taiwan does a Taiwan black-faced boombill census in coordination with the global black-faced boombill census, which is done by our friends at the Hong Kong Birdwatching Society, and so Taiwan had over 3,000 uh, for, uh, for the first time, and the number of black-faced boombill internationally went to over 5,000 this year. So that's a really, that's a really great <laughs> conservation success. You know? However, there are other globally threatened species, particularly uh, migratory species, because you know, um, if you can protect only the wintering habitat or the breeding habitat, you don't know what's happening along their stopover sites, and you don't know what happen- what's happening in their other areas. So in the case like this uh, one species called the fairy pitta, the fairy pitta is in, the, in Chinese it's called basanyao. It's, it's very pretty. It's called the eight-colored bird in Chinese. And one of their, one of their major uh, summering areas is, is Taiwan. And so you've got a large number of them historically breeding in Yunnan as well as in Kaohsiung. And then there's even some recorded in, in New Taipei and also even in, uh, in Ilan. However, with the, with the fairy pitta, their numbers have gone down dramatically. And I mean, in the past, they had said that, you know, there, there are, there were problems in Taiwan with, uh, forest fragmentation, so habitat loss. However, one of the, one of the bigger concerns is that potentially there's something going on in their wintering habitat, which is the island of Borneo in, uh, in Indonesia and Malaysia. However, more work is needed to be done. And so cord collaboration is, is, is more necessary in order to discuss what the reason is be, uh, behind this reduction in, in the species numbers. Okay, I, w- I actually wanted to ask you about your international collaboration work, because it was oh. big news uh, last year when the Taiwan Wild Bird Federation ended its partnership with BirdLife, which is the which is an international conservation organization. How did this mm. impact um, the Taiwan Wild Bird Federation? Well, I mean, that was an extremely disappointing Pointing turn of events which which took place and I mean we uh, we were removed from that partnership and honestly to this day we're still not quite sure of the reasoning why we were removed from that partnership because as I said we are completely uh, people powered NGO non-governmental group that's been working on bird and wildlife conservation 
Uh, yeah, they had mentioned that our name was was an issue, but uh, for us, the thing that we always stick to is the is the conservation work, right? All that we can do, and all that our partners have ever done, is to try and work towards creating better conservation and working with our partners to do bird conservation, habitat restoration work, things like that. So, uh, essentially, domestically, our work has not changed whatsoever. Domestically, uh, we are able to go ahead and continue working on all kinds of different projects and things throughout Taiwan and outlying islands. And on top of that, you know, the data which we collect, all the things, all the studies, citizen science or otherwise, which, uh, which our organization is involved with, they get, they get put onto things like the Global Biodiversity Information Facility, which is called GBIF, and then there's a local one called the Taiwan uh, uh, Biodiversity Information Facility. And so it's open data, which can be shared with others. And all of our citizen science project data is also put on places like eBird, which is an online platform for uh, viewing the observations of birds that people do individually and uh, and things like that. And so internationally, though, yeah, it, it's very disappointing that we, that we lost this major platform where we could go ahead and share and learn things from others. However, we already had longstanding relationships with a number of other groups and things like that, and we still continue to maintain those relationships, and we're very happy to be able to do that. So we work with our friends such as, you know, the Malaysia Nature Society, or we keep in good contact with the Wild Bird Society of Japan, and uh, we work with the Hong Kong Bird Watching Society for the Black-Faced Bloombill Census. And also one of our bigger uh, collaboration works that we have here at CWBF is working with the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds on seabird bycatch mitigation, uh, albatross and petrels, essentially. Now, granted, this is something that you know, many people might not necessarily think of when it comes to Taiwan, but Taiwan's fishing fleet is one of the largest in the world, and Taiwan catches around one quarter of the world's tuna. And so a lot of Taiwan fishing vessels might be going into areas that overlap with the foraging areas for albatross in the South Seas. So we've been working with that, uh, with the RSTB for some time in order to try and promote mitigation measures to the Taiwan government and to fishing uh, vessels so that way, you know, they are able to just catch fish and not birds. <laughs> Okay, interesting. So, do you have any tips for when people encounter wild birds? Should they feed the birds? Uh, this is this is a very tricky question <laughs> uh, because you know, for many people, they like to feed uh, bread to the birds and things like that. And what's funny, actually, is one of the members of our our executive board, uh, when things started to uh, get serious in terms of COVID here in Taiwan. They were, they're a professor at NTU, and so they were riding the bicycle at NTU. And there's, I think it's called like the Drunken Moon Lake. They got mobbed by a bunch of ducks and pigeons and other animals because there wasn't anybody feeding them. <laughs> and so they, they, there was a conversation that was held on Facebook discussing, you know, feeding the birds because, you know, you do not want the birds to get too used to people feeding them because then they might not necessarily exhibit their normal behaviors that they would in, in the wild, right? And so that's something to, to be aware of. And so another thing is, is just, you know, being mindful of how to go ahead and do bird watching and also going ahead and doing bird photography. I mean, we, we uh, think that it's important that you should do things such as, you know, ethical bird photography, such as, you know, not chasing the birds, not catching the birds, trying not to go ahead and feed the birds in order to get them to come out for a photograph, you know, not tr just trying not to go ahead and disturb the birds uh, in, in their area. I mean, I remember there was a big conversation, I think it was last year, because in Da'an Park, there was a species called, you know, the, the, the Taiwan barbet, 
and uh, and so they nest inside of the hole of a tree. And I think somebody had tried to go ahead and put a camera inside the, the hole to try, you know, be like National Geographic or something like that. And so it was it was an issue because you know that's that's not proper and that's disturbing. That's disturbing the bird that they're trying to do their breeding. Right. So use a bit of common sense and try your best not to disturb their natural habitat. Yeah, and, and their natural behaviors, yeah. Right, I see. Okay, you mentioned earlier the platform eBird, where people, regular mm. people can record the sightings of different birds around Taiwan. Can you talk about that mm. a little bit more? Oh, sure. Uh, actually, that's a fun story because, you know, eBird uh, only came, eBird, the Taiwan portal, uh, is managed by TWBF in collaboration with the Taiwan Endemic Species Research Institute. And it was started about 2015, the, the Chinese language portal there for Taiwan. And prior to that, eBird came out in 2002, and it was done by the Audubon Society in collaboration with Cornell uh, Lab for Ornithology. And so the, in Taiwan, prior to 2015, you had this uh, website, which was on our old website, called the Taiwan Bird Database. And that had started in the early 1990s. And when TWBF was doing this, uh, they were able to get the checklist of people who had been recording their bird sighting since the early 1970s. And so back in the day, in the mid-1990s, you had one computer in our office, and people would be bringing their checklist. And so you'd have one person keying in the data. It was, needless to say, a slow process back then. But, you know, a lot of people are very active birders and are interested in going ahead and uh, recording the, the things that they see. And so since 2015, you know, Taiwan has been a, a shining star for eBird uh, globally. So, you know, everybody likes to say Taiwan number one, but uh, actually Taiwan is number seven in terms of checklists, which is uh, for globally in terms of checklists, because there are over 530,000 submitted checklists from Taiwan and around like 4,000 or so active, active eBirders. And so it's really, really great because, you know, that information, anybody can go ahead and download the eBird app in order to go and uh, and key in, you know, or just see what kind of birds that they've been that they've seen and, and observed. And now there's a really interesting thing on eBird called status and trends, which is essentially looking at, you know, the data that people have collected uh, and put in from their observations, which then they can go ahead and and try and create, you know, things such as migration or looking migratory patterns or ways that people uh, or where the birds usually are located that help scientists to go ahead and 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 do potentially conservation planning and things things like that. And actually a lot of people they also say that you know there's maybe trouble figuring out what bird they're looking at. Well, just last year the TWBF was helping uh, to go and promote another app called Merlin. Merlin is an a bird identification app that recently as of uh, no as of in 2019-2020 they got a Taiwan pack so basically, it can go ahead and help you look at birds that are uh, in Taiwan. And it's a really interesting app because, you know, it'll ask you questions, you know, what's the size of the bird? What are the colors that you're seeing? These, and where, where is it located? Is it flying? Is it on a fence? And then you put in this data, and then it gives you some options for what bird you're potentially seeing. And it's actually quite helpful. And so this is, uh, this is something that we've been promoting because, you know, TWBF will go and do uh, classes teaching eBirds. Uh, to to folks in different communities around Taiwan, and so one of the things that we've been also saying is that besides eBird, you could also pair it with Merlin because Merlin has a function where once you've gone and identified it, if it is the bird, it can help you link 
to eBird in order to go ahead and add it into the site there. Oh, okay. Interesting. My next question for you is, what are the biggest threats currently facing wild birds in Taiwan? As, as with many other places, one of the bigger uh, issues facing them might be habitat degradation. And uh, climate change is something that is on the radar now. Two species such as, you know, especially high elevation species, they, uh, they have their vertical migrants, which means that they, they go up and down mountains. So it's like in the summer, they'll go up, up the mountain and then in the winter, they'll go down the mountain. However, it's been seen that, you know, they are maybe going higher and higher because of, of climate change. And so they were uh, listed as, as having threats uh, to, you know, to them as, for this reason. So that's, that's something that needs to be examined more is the effect of climate change on bird species in Taiwan. And then also another area that's a very big topic is things such as you know, green energy with uh, solar and wind power, because a lot of the solar power uh, uh, development is going on fish ponds as well as in nationalized salt pans which are areas that a lot of uh, migratory bird species and other bird species use, especially wintering migratory birds. And so these are areas that we are, are monitoring and working with our partners to go ahead and, and keep an eye on to see how, uh, how these might be affecting them. So, for instance, back in, uh, what was it, I think September or October, yeah, there was a joint statement that, uh, that we had produced in collaboration with a number of other NGOs and also scholars against the development of a solar panel farm in the Jiangjun uh, salt pan, which is down in Tainan, because it's only about 200 hectares, but it saw nine different uh, globally threatened migratory water bird species. And so eventually the plans for that area were stopped. However, you know, due to the uh, very rapid development of wind and solar energy in Taiwan. It's something that, you know, constantly needs to be, be looked at. That's interesting to hear because um, I actually interviewed a representative of a floating photovoltaic panel developer a few weeks ago. Well, I mean, Budai wetlands that were there, they had done studies uh, because, you know, in Budai section eight and section nine, they had put some solar panels in those areas. And so for certain bird species, they had an easier time adapting. So for instance, egrets and herons, they were able to stand on it and, you know, they pooped on it a lot. So it's about every month that they would need to go ahead and clean off the solar panels. But it did affect species such as diving ducks, such as tufted ducks and, and species like that. And their numbers uh, were, were reduced. However, more study is still needed because, again, this is all very, very new, right? Uh, in Taiwan, the development of these kinds of uh, solar panel farms and wind farms have only been within the last few years. Okay, all right. Thank you, Scott, for talking to me today. Okay, thanks. Goodbye. That was Scott Persner of the Taiwan Wild Bird Federation on this week's episode of Taiwan Talk. Tune in next week on ICRT FM 100 for an all-new episode. Hi, I'm Ryan Drilsma. And I'm Trevor Tordomasi. And we're the co-hosts of Taiwan Talk. You can catch our show on ICRT every Monday during the 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. newscasts. Or you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, SoundOn, or wherever you might usually find podcasts. New episodes are uploaded every Monday night. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with a new guest.